Hey everybody, welcome to another Commission Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for all Commission Television. Uh, <laughs> for all Commission Television? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. How many other how many other Commission Television podcasts are there on the Pro- internet? Probably zero. Yeah? That's my guess. That's I think sweet. this is the only one. Corner to market. Monop- <laughs> natural monopoly. Big fish, little pond. <laughs> uh, this is going to be for the classic Twin Peaks television series. We watched the pilot episode, which is feature length, and the second episode... Uh, thanks, as always, goes out to the commissioner. Uh, this is actually a community commission, so which that means uh, we have a variety of, I guess, um, popular voted. Uh, we have uh, in our VIP forums a vote from time to time to populate the store with potential commission podcasts. Some people buy shares $10 at a time. When they all shares of the movie are sold out, we take it down and we cast on it. Or television show, I guess. Uh, so special thanks to our commissioners, Shane the Bowman Bowman from Film Schlubs Podcast and Heisenberg Chronicles, uh, Georgia, Adam Pastery, Wes Stevens, La Cloak, Amy Miller, mm-hmm. Corey, Stefan Gustafsson, Amara, Madalier, Bet Marek, the uh, notorious Coco... 2MC, which I don't even... I, right. I, I feel like that's just some kind of um, demo code you left into the store that, like, uh, yeah, it's a test user. Every single time a community commissions, they, they get thrown in there, too. <laughs> uh, Josh Ricard, Dan, and R.R. Lamb. Um, so, yeah, this is, this is an infamous television show. Yeah. Because I barely remembered. I was, like, 13, 14 when this thing came out. Um, I'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, it's David Lynch. Um, this, this commission podcast is kind of like our kryptonite because we've talked about how very hard it is to do a satisfying podcast when you only see a handful of episodes of a television series. Right. Especially when you're talking about the olden days where, you know, you can't really count on like, like if you watch the pilot episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, that is not indicative Mm, of what yeah, that yeah. show, why, why anyone loves Star Trek The Next Generation. Sure. It's just the beginning. It's just a place where they had decided to start t- telling the tale. And also, it's a David Lynch production, which this is, applies more to you than me. <laughs> you can't stand the man. Apparently. Yeah, I've seen a lot of stuff that David Lynch has done. And we actually did, not too long ago, a Mulholland Drive mm-hmm. uh, podcast. And I tried to give him a little room to work. And uh-huh. uh, I think I came away still not liking anything that he actually does, uh-huh. but appreciating it, I suppose, for what it is. Right. Um, which is uh, a little higher art than mm-hmm. you would expect from most television and cinema. Yeah. Um, and that certainly applies here. I've seen and turned off after about 15 minutes Blue Velvet. Hated that movie. Hmm. Um, I haven't seen Dune. So that's my experience with David Lynch is I've seen Elephant Man and I've seen Dune, which I think Elephant Man's just a great movie, and Dune is a great movie if you've read the books. Uh, okay. If not, it's probably a bewildering mess. But <laughs> but I, I like how visionary it is. Um, mm-hmm. So I was nervous just because of all these things going into this, this, this uh, podcast. But honestly, 40 minutes into the first episode, I was blown away, and I immediately saw why this was a groundbreaking television show. I immediately thought, like, my God, if I'm in 1990 and I flip on and I watch this on my TV, it's going to knock me on my ass. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in a world of tobacco, you just dropped crack cocaine. 
Um, yeah, it's such a weird thing though because when I think, okay, it's 1990, right? Yep. And you got shit like Matlock and MacGyver uh-huh. and like all of these sort of like procedural TV shows and like late soap opera like uh, era stuff. Yeah. And then you say, all right, we want to bring in this art house film director, this mm-hmm. this guy named David Lynch, and we want to give him money to do a TV show for that audience. Yeah. It sounds like the worst fucking idea I've ever heard. Yeah. And and it apparently was. I mean, the show came out, and it, like, was sort of a critical success at the beginning, I guess, mm-hmm. and then just rapidly fell off. And two seasons in, it was canceled, right? So its rep is that the first season is amazing because it was only eight episodes long. Because I believe this huh, is another okay. – uh, there's a 1988 um, direct, uh, Writers Guild strike. Oh, boy. And uh, I don't know how directly that contributed to it, um, but there, there's only eight episodes long. The second season is a more conventional length, and I've heard multiple things about it. I've heard that David Lynch kind of grew, you know, wary of the idea that that mm-hmm. m- the, the most people want to know, which is who killed Laura Palmer. Yeah, that was the big question going around. Um, and that you know, pe- all people just that's that's they, they were obsessed with the mystery and trying to figure it out, and yeah. they didn't like being strung along. And that the find the final few episodes of that season are actually really really good, but the majority of the se- second season is is terrible. Hmm. Uh, that's okay. its rep. I don't. I probably will check it out for myself sometime in the future. But yeah, the key here is we haven't seen anything but the first two episodes, exactly. the, the extended pilot and the the second episode. Exactly. So um, we don't know anything about that. But yeah, I thought it was excellent, and intriguing, with a couple of notable examples uh, that I want to talk about that I really didn't like. Some things that really I thought uh, detracted from the quality of the overall thing. I, I'm trying to put that stuff at the end. Yeah, I come uh, down about sixty percent hate, forty percent love. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I, and good. I think I think that only swings that extra ten percent because it's David Lynch and he tries to be David Lynch in the show. Well, I'm from glad time to time because I, I watched episode three. Oh, you did. Okay. And that's when <laughs> that's when the gear shift seemed like oh, it went boy. the full Lynch ahead. Yeah. Uh, so you 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 it might have gone off the rails for you there because <laughs> uh, it really gets heavy into like dream imagery and sure. Crazy sure. stuff, mm-hmm. um, which I think is I think is interesting and great. Um, and the so, other thing is, we I don't have any nostalgia for this, right? I never I've never seen a single episode up until Friday. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think nostalgia plays a big role in why people still like this show to mm-hmm. this day. Because, you know, sure, if it's historically significant in any way, and like you know, broadening the horizons of television, uh-huh. I missed all that. Right. And now I look back at it and I go, Jesus Christ, this is the most rudimentary bullshit I've ever seen mm-hmm. uh, as compared to shows today. But, you know, I so I don't have that context and I don't have that, um, you know, young love for it, essentially, mm-hmm. that I remember fondly. I just have a 1990s TV show that looks like it was filmed on a low budget as compared to the gorgeous episode of The Leftovers that happened last night. <laughs> Yeah. And, like, I, I don't know how to properly contextualize those things. Um, I think it's a skill. It's something you have to work at, to, And that's something I've, I've been doing for a couple of years now is to go back and watch old things, not with, like, a, oh, this is shit by modern standards, but what is the – what are the missing links I can see here? What is the evolutionary traits that, that this show – that this movie bestowed upon – 
uh, and and that future generations of filmmakers owe to someone f- had this original idea or someone did this thing, and and I'd like to talk about that eventually. Um, yeah. So I my history with this 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 show is I was thirteen, maybe fourteen years old, and I clearly remember I was at my grandma's house some summer, and she had the People's Fifty Most Beautiful People in the World issue that comes out I guess every year. And I was flipping through it, and I'm like, I see these jaw-droppingly beautiful women. There's like three of them from Twin Peaks in this issue. Which ones were they? Donna, number, uh, number one, right? Uh, Laura Boyle. D- yes, although I don't – I think she's the least of them. I, and I don't know any of these what? people's names. Okay. Um, but uh, whoever the, the daughter of the lodge owner is. Audrey. Audrey. See, she's not mm, – yeah, not doing it for me. And then the um, – the blonde waitress at the diner who's married to the biggest asshole in the world. Shelly? I think. Okay. Yeah, I mean, again, I don't know their yeah. names. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's, there's, there's like 50 people introduced to you in these two episodes. Yeah. Which true. is one of the things that makes it great. And I'm like, hold my, you know, 13 year old hormonal Aaron's like, I've got to watch this television show. Now, that was after season one. So, huh. and this is the VCR era, so I tried to watch season two as I went along and used this TV guide that kind of, like, you know, decoded the thing. And so I start uh-huh. watching probably the nadir of the show, and I quickly lost interest. Gotcha. So that's my introduction. To, <laughs> that's my memory of Twin Peaks. Okay. I don't uh, have any memory. I It was not on my radar in any way. Right. So um, shall we – I, I, I kind of want to um, – I kind of uh, want to lead off on feed, uh, on feedback with here, okay? Because uh, we didn't get a lot of uh, feedback. Um, Shane Bowman, which she didn't even send this in to me. This is something that prompted after I posted, like kind of being blown away by um, seeing this and, and and thinking what people in the '90s thought of it on my Facebook page. He said, "This is a huge for me. I was in my junior year of college. I was already obsessed with Lynch as a filmmaker." Me and my friends had watch parties and talk theories endlessly. It was essentially like Lost or Battlestar Galactica, but with 30 million people watching. <laughs> uh, and this was before internet, too. Yeah. Uh, so this is a lot. I mean, you know, I think X-Files owes a lot to this show. I think Lost owes a lot to this show. I think True Detective uh, owes a lot to this show. Um, LeCloak also said, I can't wait to hear your podcast. I hope you find something you like, as Twin Peaks always have a place as one of my favorite shows of all time. Uh, it ran while I was in college here in Ireland many years ago. We didn't have a television in our rented house, so we used to go to the local pub and ask to have it on the TV. It's very funny thinking about a bunch of scruffy students sitting with the old guys in the bar watching Cooper and Company. Some of them seem to get into it as two, although it might have just been when Audrey Horn appeared. Uh, and finally, Wes Stevens said... Did this show go on too long, or was the premise of the mystery enough of an introduction to the characters that it made you invest and want to spend more time with them even after the central mystery was resolved? I can't answer that. Neither can I. But a related question is, did the two and a half hours that we did watch do enough to make you want to see who killed Laura? Uh, I think so. I think the, the central hook of the show is good. That's one of the the positives that I would have to say about it. Are you going to go on and watch Twin Peaks? No. Okay, that's that's what I'm no. saying. Like so I said, six, sixty forty hated it. Okay, <laughs> okay. Because um, it did me. I I de- I definitely want to watch season one, and then uh, I'm going to try season two because it's twenty two episodes, I think. And then wow. I would like to watch the uh, final the, the the movie Firewalk with me. Uh, cause I, the other thing is I've heard really 
amazing things about the the reboot. It's not even a reboot; it's a con- it's a continu- continuation of it. It seems like because hmm. okay. it's got old ass uh, Mc, 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 what is his name? Uh, Mc, not McLaughlin. Uh, McLaughlin. Yeah. Kyle McLaughlin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the mayor of Portlandia. Uh, <laughs> right. It's got him in it, right. and like a, just a bunch of the old old, old folks have come back. Um, yeah. So I feel like we had an unusual amount of um, bullshit to talk about before we get into the review of this proper. Uh, what do you want to talk about? I mean, if you want to start off with the good stuff, like I said, the hook is good. I think it's – so it, it feels very much like northern exposure to me in a lot of ways. Did, um, even did, though that's set in Alaska, I guess they have similar – terrain i guess that the outdoor shots for this was only was filmed like 45 minutes from the outdoor set of uh oh. northern exposure no, that makes sense so yeah because yeah, i i've got a similar kind of like vibe from the and they're both set in like small towns uh-huh. um, out in the the forest uh, out in the woods and I, I think um i think northern exposure was on around the same time too wasn't it might have been I remember I was much more into Northern Exposure. Yeah, I remember I think seeing I was a little bit, of that. I think I was a little bit older when that came out, and mm-hmm. I, I kind of like that quirky stuff. Uh, no, actually, it's a contemporary. It came from uh, it was 1990. Mm. Okay. Now, the other thing is my mom and dad really liked Northern Exposure, so they watched that, and you know, I kind of got into it just by osmosis. I think it does a good job of, of setting that, that tone and that feeling of uh-huh. kind of a small logging town, you know, up, uh-huh. in, up in the... The mountains, I guess, there. Um, and I think it's sort of an examination of, like, what a an event like this does to a small town mm-hmm. um, and how it affects the different people in it. Although I think I, I think that's what it has the potential to be. I don't know if it actually hit that note very often. Like, it kind of up front it did, where we, it devastated the Can we talk about how person. much the location, I think, adds to it? Because I've noticed that America—I'm not going to speak for the rest of the world, um, but Americans seem to really like something that's very much of a place. Yeah. Like, one of the things about True Detective Season 1 that's so amazing is it really puts you into these backwoods, Louisiana swamp towns. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, Twin Twin Peaks really puts you into this these small Pacific Northwest. Uh, I guess it wouldn't be because they say it's it's just five miles south of the Canadian border and twelve miles west of the state border, so it's more inside than you think of like you know the Olympic Peninsula. Yeah, but still, it's like you know who how many people grew up in a logging town? There's not a lot. Like you know stuff that's set in New York City or L.A. or Chicago is more kind of like broad. Uh, but this stuff is very narrow and more personal, and I feel like that there's this kind of voyeuristic, like, what is it like to live in this particular small town? Like, mm-hmm. uh, one of the reasons Breaking Bad is so fascinating is because it's a very uh, interesting portrait of Albuquerque as much as it is about anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's key to its charms, that you've got, you know, everyone ki- – a lot of Americans have a lot of ideas about small-town life, but then you add very particular things to it, like the sawmill and, you know, the – in, in, in a region that people aren't familiar with, and it, it it just adds a lot of interest to it. Yeah, I do think there there are ways in which the creators of this show had failed miserably to depict that. But how? Well, uh, well I don't want to go too negative yet. Okay, all right, that's um, fair. That's fair. But I I don't know. I I think like also you know the the emotional look at the the town, right? Like how does this event affect the people of this town. Mm-hmm. Um, now that, now that you're kind of familiar with, um, the place, 
what what does this do to the people and i think that's uh that's i guess the best part of it for me mm-hmm. it's like looking at all these people and how they are broken up especially donna i think donna is one of the most like complex and interesting characters in the show um because she had this relationship so cuz she's clearly my least favorite and least like i feel like okay. she's kind of like the stand in for the audience Okay. Uh, because she's supposedly Laura's best, Laura, yeah, yeah, Laura's best friend. Mm-hmm. But they had a falling out recently that they've reconnected. But like, they're so I, it, it's hard for me to buy because Donna seems like she's just this all American goody two shoes girl, and well, Laura they is it seems like an insane person. She's into drugs and sex and prostitution and. But she's also the the whatever it's called. Uh, you know the queen of the high school essentially like she's laura the yeah she's, yeah, she's the literally person, the homecoming queen yeah that everyone looks up to she's a fucking superhero in my opinion with all the shit she's got going on in town well, that's the other thing that's like, hilarious is she's she's simultaneously a cocaine addict well a prostitute yeah. in this middle of this possibly occult sex ring but she's also tutoring the the, the local mentally, mentally handicapped, handicapped kid she's, she's helping uh Miss Packard with her, her English, English skills. She's delivering. She's organizing the fucking Meals on Wheels program. That's what I'm saying. She's she's. I, you have to be on cocaine to do all that. <laughs> That's you the connection. To. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so I, I think it's. I think those are all veneers, right? Like, sure, Donna might seem like innocent and goody two shoes, but I think under the surface she's not. Mm-hmm. I think she's like, um, like. You think Donna is presented like you think of kids in those regions, um, in small towns, right? Being kind of like, you know, all American kids, but Mm -hmm. they're they're just kids, like every other place. You know, they do shit. They have ideas that get them in trouble. They, I I don't know. I mean, there it seems like that is on the surface, and then you dig a little deeper, and you find essentially Laura under every kid in this town. Mm Yeah, because I mean, so I want that that pivots to the th- another strength that I think the show has, especially with a mystery, is it has a large cast of diverse characters that mm-hmm. have a bewildering amount of interconnections. Oh Jesus! I remember clearly. <laughs> there's this TV guide foldout that uh-huh. had like I, f- I feel like it's a wheel, kind of like the same like they had something about Jon Snow's parentage last season uh-huh. uh Entertainment Weekly. Uh, but it was this wheel that had, like, all these people's pictures and, like, all the connections between them. Like, this person's married to this person, but secretly fucking this person. Yeah. This person abducted this person, but is really blaming this person. And it's just every single person seems like it ha- they have one, like, public thing they're doing and then one or two private things they're doing. Right. And Laura seems like she's connected to more than most. Yeah, so I had this segment I wanted to do called Who Are They Actually Fucking? <laughs> <laughs> Because uh-huh. everyone in the town seems to be fucking someone who isn't their spouse or significant other. Right. Top to bottom. And then Laura is like the queen bee here who's mm-hmm. just fucking all the drones, mm-hmm. all the workers. Really? Because um, I didn't – I didn't – So I, I, I was doing a little reading, um, trying not to get too spoilery I, I, with I my I started reading. doing about five minutes of research and qu- since I decided I want to watch the rest of this, I'm like – no, because yeah. it's impossible to research Twin Peaks without spoiling – Everything, it seems like. Yeah, I went to, like, a Wikipedia article on Laura, and apparently, like, later on, there's a, a page in her diary that says, basically, these are the people I'm fucking, uh-huh. um, and it has initials, and mm-hmm. just, like, 
52 lines of initials of people right. she's fucking in the town. And, like, some of them have been directly connected to people in the town. Others are kind of left blank. But mm-hmm. it, she's fucking everybody. Mm-hmm. Literally everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I mean, Bobby is, you know, fucking two people here, Shelly. And I guess he was with Laura um, a, not too long ago. Yeah. Not too long before she died. Um, well, and also she's, like, in the diary, this initial stuff is kind of... <laughs> you know blatant mystery bait because she's using initials and like there's in this one the last page is like i'm about to meet jay and i'm nervous or whatever and i think there's five j's in these first two episodes alone Uh and there's like you know the mystery of this bob guy and there's like a robert and a bobby and it's like some of this is just i feel like it's a playing a game of guess who yeah uh, in real time or a game of Clue, which is, you know, anytime you got people, you invite people to solve a mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I guess the really int- the, the thing I don't understand is before the Internet, how did this like was this just water cooler talk? Like what fueled right. the mystery and what fueled the, the putting together and, the, and how did theories percolate through the fan sphere? I mean, I know there's um, bulletin boards yeah, and message boards. And I think AOL was around back then, but. But yeah, I guess it would just be people talking about it at work and school and I wonder if like the the TV guides cuz I remember that a lot of them collected like, you know, popular theories and stuff. I don't know where they mm-hmm. got them or maybe it's just around like that. Like when you're reading a TV guide article about popular theories for Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Is that just secretly the water cooler talk at TV guides editorial <laughs> bullpen? Maybe or maybe people <laughs> like wrote in uh, yeah. like send in letters Joan from a ca- oh that yeah of course snail and mail. then they would yeah but I, I mean that would only be like the one way communication right like right. Uh, we put out a TV guide saying hey send in your letters and then we published the and also it seems like theories. that stuff is mostly it would have to be after the season or maybe before the next season because like if you yeah. have a hot take and you you eat and, and TV guide says we want to hear your t-, you know episode comes out we want to hear your hot take you, you come up with the hot take you mail the hot take they read the hot take and print it's like four episodes four or five weeks have gone by yeah that's a that's you true. know on a show like this that's a lifetime yep but but the the large diverse interconnected um cast that has all these different shifting loyalties and motivations is 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 ripe for and we saw that with like Riverdale this this season too. Sure. Like one of the things that made that go is they introduced all these people and like almost every episode decided, you know, shown a spotlight on this person and a particular person like did this person do it? And then ultimately no, and they just kept doing that until whereas this it's just like you just it's stuff like 15 different people are underneath the microscope. And three people yeah. that we don't even know. We've just seen their glove reaching into the ground to pull out a half-broken heart. <laughs> and, like, what – I mean, some of that stuff is so eye-rolly from yeah. a modern perspective. Like, yeah. really? You're going to play melodramatic music while a gloved hand pulls out a heart from the ground? Yeah. No, it's uh, – I mean, this all – that all bleeds into the stuff I hated about it. But mm. um, so that's just one – chunk of the story here there's a lot more going on right it's not just who killed laura palmer um that question even alone is bigger than just who killed laura palmer because it's a serial killer right there's these letters under the fingernails yeah there's another a survivor of uh, a girl who's like apparently used as a sex slave that wanders onto the train tracks and is cat she's she's with it enough to wander across the the Pacific Northwest, but Mm -hmm. as soon as she gets help, she immediately goes catatonic. I guess. 
Sure. I mean, maybe that could, actually. I'm yeah. making fun of that. Maybe that can happen. I, I have no idea. But there's there's a couple of other plots, like the the Packard sawmill stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess Mr. Packard, the guy who had done all the the heavy lifting to build this company, died recently, mm-hmm. and instead of leaving his belongings and his business and stuff to his sister, which why the fuck would he? He has a wife. Mm-hmm. You dumb shits. Uh, he left it to his wife. Well, but and, th- and the I, sister's all pissed off about it. I think part of that is that you get the idea that her sister, his sister, helped him build the company. Okay, and this is like a young wife who is like maybe wifey come lately, like a trophy wife sort of thing. I mean, she's extremely attractive. She's got to be right. younger than this guy. The most attractive woman in the state, they say. I mean, the she's very attractive. State. I mean, this is like this is a very attractive. Did she cast. win like a Miss Washington contest? Is Miss, that how they Miss, tell that? Uh, well, they, the asterisk is she's the most attractive woman in the state who's also owning a log mill. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's like six I or seven of them, and she's everyone else looks like uh, you know Large Marge from Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure. <laughs> okay, and then it's her, so she wins. Although, like I yeah. said, she's she's a she's a stunning woman for sure. Uh, but again, it's a cast full of stunning people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I I I I guess I understood instinctively why her sister hates her. But I mean, that's a that's a big part of it. Um, and the sawmill doesn't even end there, right? Like, there's this this business guy or a series of business guys who are mm-hmm. trying to buy out the sawmill or run the sawmill into the ground to so buy it, it out, cheap so and they can have develop the Norwegians it. develop it into like country club and estates, some kind of Norwegian en- enclave. Like, are, are I these think so? <laughs> Are these secret Norwegian Nazis they're trying to store away somewhere? Could be. They're definitely investors. They like their their air sacs clean. That's all I know about <laughs> they them. Love and they that and joke, they don't man. like they don't like girls being murdered. They don't. There's I... things Norwegians love. Air clean air sacs, <laughs> things that they hate, dead teenage girls. Yeah, that scene where she goes into that room and I guess this is David Lynch's attempt at humor. I didn't find it particularly funny. I found it more like what the fuck? Uh, is that scene where Audrey goes into the room and starts dancing around and like Audrey? I think uh, I mean she's just like I don't I don't think it's supposed to be funny. I think it's you're just supposed to see that this this girl for reasons that we don't know yet is really acting out. Yeah, but that scene is played so broadly with these Norwegians who just like you got a guy who's trying to you know conduct a meeting and he's looking down at his papers and saying stuff and everybody else is looking off to the side at Audrey. Mm-hmm. And then oh, you're talking about a different and... scene than I thought. I thought you're when her father comes in and catches her dancing to the record player in his office. No, it's the one you're talking about. The one where she they lets talk drop that her best friend or her friend died. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I I didn't find that particularly funny. I thought it was too broad. I thought um, it was just her. Like she's a stunningly attractive young girl. These guys are slightly lecherous old men and are staring at her. And once she has her attention, she drops this thing that's going to screw up her dad's deal. Uh-huh. Because she is a giant pain and in the ass, like I, yeah, that's the opinion. I mean, as I much got as Bobby her. is, right? Like Bobby oh, God, and Bobby. Audrey seem to be made for each other. Yeah, they're rebellious assholes who think that the world revolves around them, essentially. Yeah, and that's the other thing is like I don't. What did you, did you say? Laura Flynn Boyle was Donna. Donna, yeah. Why is she with Bobby's friend? I don't even know what his name Mike. is. The, yeah, the meathead mullet guy. Yeah, blonde mullet. Like I don't, I don't get like if if everybody paired off in high school, how did the the straight arrow girl with the good grades end up with this guy? So Bobby 
Is Bobby the quarterback? I know he's on the football team. Both of those guys yeah, are. Yeah, I and, think so. And if you you want to say, okay, well, Laura was the homecoming queen or whatever, and Donna's her best friend, I guess that would sort of be a natural pairing. Um, yeah. You know, the two football jocks with the two queens of the school. I guess, I'm trying to think of how high school worked, and I'm my recollection of high school politics is everything flowed through sports. Yep. But it's not necessary. Like, like some of this stuff was. It seemed like that. Um, it's basically on. I don't know. Everyone paired up based on the hottest people got together, and then everyone kind of matched up after that. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't like you know. I didn't see. I, I never saw the star quarterback get with the head cheerleader, hmm. um, or anything like. It. It's like, well, we are the we are the the most powerful people in the high school. Let's start dating. It was always. I don't know. Physical attraction came first. Yeah, yeah. Like I think sixteen-year-olds just start that calculating. I don't think. Yeah, but I think like in a lot of ways, high school does just revolve around you know the physicality of everything, right? Oh, like, and I guess what so you're saying is like the the best physical athletes are going to be the best-looking people, and the best cheerleaders be, yeah. are going to be the best, you know, and uh-huh. and then there's like this this social thing where if you are like, let's say. You know, there's a group of five girls and a group of five guys who are at mm-hmm. the top of the, the school echelon here, right? Mm-hmm. You can't really date outside of that pool. Because right. if you do, then your other friends are going to be like, what the then fuck are you doing with that guy? And... Right. It's like freaks and geeks. You can't uh-huh. you can't go date yeah. fucking what's-his-name from right. How I Met Your Mother. Right. The nerd, the, <laughs> the, nerd the, the coolness does not rub off on the nerd. The nerd rubs off on the exactly, cool. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So you can't date down, only up. Uh, and then, you know, that's not even the end of it. There's some plan with Bobby, Mike, and Leo, and Laura with $20,000 involved. And I don't know if it has to do with drugs or what it is, but... Well, it has to do with uh, whatever's going on in the leftovers with the twenty grand. I think I they're think all trying so, to yeah. purchase the later radiation bomb <laughs> to drop on Twin Peaks. Yeah. The universes are connected. Who knew? So there's a lot going on in these first two episodes that they establish. yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, and I guess Laura's mom also has like some supernatural ability or something to see events that happen around or Laura's death. Or she's just crazy. She might also just be crazy. Like that the scene that where she sees the weird looking hippie dude underneath the bed. Yeah. was the music told me it was shocking, but my brain told me that's hilarious. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> yep. I thought that was like really, really crazy. That's the thing. I have a list here. I have another segment called Fuck All These People. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, <laughs> the very first one on the list is Fuck Lucy, the operator at the police station. Oh, yes. She's the worst. I, I can't, can't stand she, her voice. She, like, share, share, she's, she takes care of Sheriff Andy. Yeah. She's she, a fragile man. Uh, I, hmm. You don't like Ball and Andy? <laughs> fuck, fuck Andy, too, while we're at it. Yeah, because... <laughs> His defining feature seems to be he cries at the drop of a hat. Well, here's the thing is, like, they make it seem like he does this on murder scenes. My question, how many fucking murder scenes does Twin Peaks see? Yeah. Like, this guy looks like he's in his mid-20s. How many, like, <laughs> you know, I, I, would, I would believe it if he said that the, you know, the, 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 the murder of Laura was the first one he's ever seen. Yeah, I think they mentioned one, like, the previous year. Where it's like, oh, it's just like last year. Andy's crying again. Oh, but I thought that was quite a way. Didn't isn't that the first serial killer victim? The letter under the fingernail. Oh, maybe. Guy? And I thought yeah. that was quite a ways away from the town. It's it still was, in the state, yeah. but not like I don't think this guy would be investigating it. No, probably not. But that, yeah, I mean, it's like I just like yeah, I, town I grew up. 
I think in the whole time I was there for like 25 years, one person got murdered, and it's about the size, a little, it's about half the size of Twin Peaks, actually. Yeah. So even if I say to have twice the murder rate, like that, I would expect <laughs> maybe one person a decade to be yeah. murdered, and it would be infamous news for years and years. That's what happens with serial killers. They just fuck up all the ratios. The, yeah, it's true. What you, you would expect. That's yeah, true. If you have a small town with a serial killer in it, then you're going to. Yeah. <laughs> you're definitely going to start skewing the statistics. Uh, but definitely fuck Mike, Donna's boyfriend. He can go fuck himself. I found out his name is actually Mike Nelson, which I feel bad for <laughs> Mike Nelson of Rift Tracks fame. Right. Of MST3K fame. Uh, fuck he stole Nadine. Joel, he stole Joel Hodgson's job, man. So fuck, suck, fuck Mike Nelson. Did he? No, that's, that's a very simplistic. MST3K. Very simplistic understanding Joke. of what happened with the Mystery Science Theater stuff. Uh, fuck Nadine, who you probably don't know her name, but she's mm. the hanging of the blinds wife. Oh, Fuck her right out of the town. Yeah, if I'm Big Al or Big, <laughs> Big Ed, Ed, I yeah. yeah, like you don't like. Oh, you're cheating on your wife. That's pretty terrible, dude. I don't. I can't stand. Oh wait, that's your wife. Okay, yeah, yeah. Carry right. on. Carry. You do what you got to do to survive. <laughs> You go to your happy place. Uh, fuck Audrey too. Um, I, I'm I'm curious. As, in fact, she his his wife, the one eyed, yeah. cotton ball hanging curtain lady, Lunatic. is so terrible that mm-hmm. I'm actually wondering how they're going to explain that he just doesn't divorce her and marry the extremely cute, kind, sympathetic woman who serves the best pie and coffee in the world down at the diner. I think like, he feels bad like about deal. plucking her eye out. <laughs> Did he pluck her eye I out? I assume so. Okay. Uh, given the relationship, yeah. Huh. I assume he took that eye for himself. Okay. <laughs> hey, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, that's the thing. Is like, I, can't, I can't imagine yeah. why he would just consign himself to this kind of misery. I don't know. Uh, fuck Audrey, too. She's a character who seems to think that sexy means constantly staying in motion. I don't know. That, you know that's what? her go-to move. So I think, I think she is the most attractive person and and fascinating to look at person in this cast. Hmm. I'm yeah, I and she's she's a terrible. But... I, I, from what I see, she's a terrible character. Yeah, but she's it's like it's hard to take. Like I'm shocked to hear you just completely dismiss her. I think both Shelley and Donna are more attractive. Huh? Yeah. Well, it might be her attitude too. It, I don't, it's funny I don't because like it, it took a thirty or forty minutes for me to realize that Donna was Laura Flynn Boyle because I'm familiar mm. with Laura Flynn Boyle from like. The practice and like mm-hmm. Men in Black Two, where she's almost skeletal, right? And she's so much more healthy um, yeah. in this, in, in this, but almost unrecognizable. But I felt like she's just very average girl next door in this this the show. Okay, I mean, I think I have a type, and that would probably describe it. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's fine. Everyone's uh, got to have one. <laughs> fuck the log lady. <laughs> Which I, that was maybe the best joke in the whole episode or the whole two episodes was uh-huh. uh, wh- who's that lady with the log? We call her log, log lady. lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, that's pretty good. And in her, like, I but so yes, it's a joke, but also I feel like she might be a linchpin because when she says yeah. my log knows who killed Laura, first of all, she's crazy, so who knows? But I, I, yeah. I feel like there, I intuitively understood that she meant I saw right. You know, because, you know, obviously she I can't imagine her dropping the log. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder, like, if if at the end of season two, if you find out that uh, the FBI agent had just asked her, mm-hmm. this thing would have been solved in the second episode. <laughs> yeah, uh, could be. 
But and she's also insane, so who knows? She is, yeah. I don't know that she would have even given him an answer if he had asked a log. Mm-hmm. She would have, like, expected him to hear the log's answer or mm-hmm. something, probably. Who knows? Oh, right. Well, he just told you, yeah. Yeah, and then she would have huffed off anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially, especially fuck Laura's mom. Because I, I thought, here's the thing. I, I was writing down my notes, and I'm Grieving like- Grieving mother. I'm like, fuck the grieving mother. Okay, so she's screaming at the end of this scene where there's the leather glove and pulls the heart out of the ground. What the fuck? That's dumb. Uh, and I honestly thought when I got to the end of my notes that this was going to be a joke, but this is actually true. Every time she came on the screen, I turned the fucking volume down because I knew she was going to be shrieking at the top of her lungs at mm-hmm. the end of that scene. Mm-hmm. Every time without fail, it happens. Yeah. Every single fucking time. Yeah. Full hysterics. I couldn't stand her. <laughs> Like, she learns of Laura, and she, I think she ripped all her hair out, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, she's very broad in it's her performance. It's so over the top. I hated it. Uh, and it kind of stood out because I felt like almost everyone else was um, kind of, you know, top of the game. Hmm. Okay. Um, and also, I don't think the soundtrack did them any favors <laughs> in some of this stuff, too, no. which is the one thing we'll be talking about here in a bit. Okay. Um, okay, what else? That's, I think that's all the people that I say fuck you to. Okay. Um, I, I I guess I just liked how whimsical it is more than you. Because, for example, so I was shocked that Kyle McLaughlin didn't show up until like 40 minutes into the show. Oh, yeah. Like like the, the, the pilot episode is half over before he's established, which is... Almost like if you go through the first whole the, the the first episode of X Files without meeting Mulder, yeah, you know, uh, from my perspective. Um, but his agent Dale Cooper, I couldn't get enough of. Yeah, he's probably my favorite character. I love because he he's later in the second episode. I feel like Sheriff uh, Harry S. Truman. Uh, he Jesus. says, I'm going to have to start like boning up on my medical text because I feel like Dr. Watson. Mm-hmm. I actually really like that. Um, like He is a modern-day Sherlock Holmes. I kind of feel like yeah. he's almost a better Sherlock Holmes than than uh, the, the uh, com- Comes a Bunch uh, uh-huh. is as, as Sherlock. Okay. Like, he's just really quirky, but yet... He's affable, but also off-putting and mm-hmm. and arrogant, but and and judgmental and regimented and particular and and the thing it's interesting because he's very particular, but all things he's particular about I hate. Like he likes his his bacon burnt and his eggs hard <laughs> and his coffee black <laughs> and his perspective upside down and like all those things I find yeah. borderline abhorrent. But yet I really I don't know. I, I, there's something about a guy who's that. In the moment, at all fucking times. Yeah, and he's shown to be really excellent at what he does. Yeah. Um, so, Like, he can, within three can or four sentences, determine whether someone's murdered a person or not. Right. He also uh, can see the reflection of a motorcycle in the cornea of a teenage girl's eyes on standard definition television sets. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> and it's so wild because, um, you know, we're seeing this in, in standard definition, but they clearly did a, uh, you know, I, I watched this on Netflix, which, by the way, this mm-hmm. this whole thing is on Netflix if you care to watch it. Um, it. They clearly did some kind of scan from the original 16 millimeter print because the, yeah. the series itself looks awesome. It's in, stand, it's in you know, 4.3 format. And I'm like, well, this is a camera taking a picture of a real television, so I guess it's actually possible to see this kind of detail. Mm-hmm. But that's my first thing is like, how the hell do you see that? 
don't know. He's he's uh, unconventionally capable. And also, you say what you will about James, but he's a hell of a photographer. If he can get like a crappy VHS camera to to zoom that close on a woman's eye, yeah, where he and he can still perfectly frame a motorcycle in it. I just like I would like to know. I would love to see someone actually recreate that shot to see how close the motorcycle has to be, how close the can, you know, because uh-huh. I just feel like there's no way this is a candid thing that you're just, you know, filming two girls dancing, probably coked up on the mountainside and happened to catch reflection this bike in her eye. Yeah, I mean, she's looking at the camera, right? So you would think the reflection would be the camera. Yeah. And the camera operator. Right. Because it's dead center in her eye. Right. It's not like it's off to the side. That's what I'd, I'm saying. Like, how, I she's lo- not looking away. I, uh-huh. I don't know. I don't yeah. know how you get that shot. I don't. Unless the camera is being operated by the motorcycle, <laughs> I really don't know how you get that shot. Oh man, it's like that Jack Black uh, legendary right. pilot, like like was Laser Lips and and Jack, yeah, J- Heat Vision and Jack, Heat yeah. Vision and Jack, yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, Heat Vision was was doing some uh, some auteur camera work. Yep. Um, okay, what else do we want to talk about? You want to talk about the the intro and the theme music? <sighs> so here's the thing: I actually really like the soundtrack. Except when it's hmm. trying to underline any kind of high emotion. Okay. The sound, like the montage of everyone reacting to Laura's death, like the principal breaking down and everyone sobbing and the mother sobbing, was the worst kind of synth soap opera soundtrack. It's terrible. It's it yeah. detracted from everything as bad as like the soundtrack from the Color Purple did. The right. Color Purple. Uh huh. Like it's been that long. It's it's been. It's been since the color purple that I've seen the soundtrack, and I just kept on thinking, like, my God, imagine like Max Richter's score for the leftovers underneath these mm-hmm. people crying. Yeah, I, you know, it I would think be that principal scene is incredible. Um, uh-huh. Other than the music, but the, that's what I'm saying. The music takes like an yeah. A plus and turns it into a C minus. Yeah, and then when right. you got Laura's mom, who's like a C plus at best, <laughs> yeah. it's just fucking derisable. Yeah, I actually I don't like any of the music in this. I, I think it's all bad, including the intro theme. And then when Laura's um, dad came to claim her at the morgue, the soundtrack decided to take the day off, and like his performance was actually good. But I kept on thinking, like <laughs> if if the soap opera shit was underneath, this would be terrible. Yeah. But the beat poet kind of like, boom, boom, boom. I love that. That was that that really informs a lot of the show's mm-hmm. attitude and mood. I didn't, but it's it's all that when they were trying to like jerk tears out of me, they were actively stuffing tears back into the ducts <laughs> and diffusing <laughs> them within my body because it's just yeah, instantly dried them up. Yeah, no, it's it feels very soap opera. I think like since soap opera is the best way to like daytime soap too. It's not even. Like a primetime soap. Which I wonder if, because I, I read a little bit of back, behind the scenes interviews of like how this was created, like the formation. And it uh-huh. seems like that I wouldn't be surprised if David Lynch actively tried to do this because he was trying to kind of create a primetime soap opera murder mystery. Really? surrealist with a surrealist bit to it of course so like i do feel like that maybe he's like yeah i want uh, you know listen to all these soap operas and when people start crying like do something like that yeah that's where my modern sensibilities get in the way like Uh maybe if i was watching this in 1990 um i would have a little more appreciation for a synth soap soundtrack but i I don't know like fuck me it's terrible i mean i can there's 
does every time every, every once in a while I see a piece of art and I'm like, okay, well this is dated, but I understand why it was good at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some stuff, it's like when you hear it, it's like, why did anyone ever ever like this at all? Yeah, I don't understand and why you where, don't yeah, look yeah. at cinema right and say, what is cinema doing? Um, there's there's, that, there's a lot of could... synth in the '80s. Maybe that's there's still a synth, yeah. a, a hangover no, from the '80s. I guess so. Uh, oh, I, can can I say something about this being dated that I that I did like? Sure. I actually felt felt like because the '90s were very distinctive, especially in the early '90s, where you still had that fusion of the '80s. It was mm-hmm. a very distinctive time in fashion. Oh, right. And I felt like this show did a hell of a job at, and maybe it's just because it was the small town kind of behind, but it yeah. feels timeless in kind of the same way we talked about like the movie seven yeah how that was also in the 90s but it was shot in such a way that that could be kind of any city in the last 30 40 years right i felt like this show does not look dated in its kind of wardrobe hairstyles things like that yeah i think you're right um so and kudos it, it, whoever did all that i think it helps that the one i'll call him an intruder for now um into this town who's the fbi guy yeah um is just dressed in a classic suit, right? right? Now, if he came in from, you know, L.A. or something, right. and he was like... He's Don Johnson from Miami Vice. Right. Or... It could look dated as fuck, but uh-huh. uh, I think, yeah, it's of the time and place, and those fashions are still very much relevant in those kinds of places. They also did a good job of, like, you know, like Big Big Ed's just dressed like a lumberjack. Yeah. And, like, the Donnie and his asshole friends are dressed like the jocks from Greece. Mm-hmm. And there, so there's, like, a lot of this 50s kind of mashup, like diner culture, too. Yeah. Like, that stuff is kind of timeless with more contemporary looks. Like, Audrey was rocking and Donna was rocking. Donna's hair is a little, little, little 90s dated now that I think about it. Yeah. But... You know, anytime you mix up all those different influences, and you know, you've got like these James uh, Dean kind of archetypes, and and you're smashing them together, it it kind of feels timeless by default because like, what time could you possibly put a finger on? And like, no high schoolers yeah. dressed that way in the '90s. Sure, they dressed that way in the '50s. But yep. so your brain just kind of is like, okay, it's anytime, any place, anywhere. Uh, the other thing I really, really like about the intro is the sharpening of those blades. I think that sets like yeah. a creepy tone for the mm-hmm. whole show. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's also like oddly fascinating to me. Like I've never seen blades being sharpened or fashioned in that way um, right. mechanically by, you know, um, just turning them and it has this machine that automatically does it. It's It was oddly like rhythmic and fascinating to me. It's like how stuff works kind of. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what is dated in this uh, this this show? What's that? Uh, the 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 personal digital assistants. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that little the 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 is a Cooper Agent Cooper. Mm-hmm. He's got this like pre Newton pre Palm Pilot thing that he can type messages like like really quickly. He's like he looks like an Aldi's cashier uh, <laughs> typing in this thing uh, these messages to to, to Harry Truman. I thought that was that was pretty cool, but I'm like, man, because uh, I was a giant nerd and I was into things like Casio calculator watches and like address organizers and stuff, and I I, I could not peg what that was. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably um, anything. It's probably something you got at Radio Shack for seventy bucks. Yeah, it would hold ten addresses and uh, could. <laughs> Jesus, I had several of those uh-huh, over the years. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, I I have some real problems with Donna's dad. 
I forgot to list him in the fuck you category, but uh, Donna's dad surprised me in his lackadaisical attitudes, I guess. Really? Um, so Donna's dad, when when James is arrested, uh, Donna's taken home by her dad. To, mm-hmm. And they talk about going to get the bike with the, the air and the tires and whatnot. And he doesn't end up scolding her for having snuck out in the middle of the night where there's a curfew because there's a serial killer rapist on the prowl. Mm-hmm. Doesn't scold her at all. He says that he's lucky to have a daughter like her. Which... Okay, he's taking a different tact. Yeah. I, I get it. I, it's I, a different tact. But still, she's got to know she did something wrong here. He needs to convey that information. Like, you, this is a very dangerous and bad thing that you've done. It is, but it's like I felt for him because if you're, like, as a father of a, a good kid myself, it is it is a tough thing when you have a good kid that makes a, a big mistake for the first time. Right. Like, you don't want to, I mean, you don't want to scare him straight exactly, and you don't want to be too permissive, and I feel like appealing, like, to I'm so glad that I have a daughter like you is kind of like a very uh, judo kind of guilt trip to lay on a person. Mm-hmm. Like, like there's a lot of things implied. I actually thought he deftly handled the situation. Now, you know, that's the, pr- the other thing about being a parent is, like, you know, you hit, you get essentially history is your judge on whether you fucked up or not and there's genetics <laughs> right. and who the hell no one knows what they're doing um but i i i i thought it was a valid take on a kid like that that has done something and you also think like okay this when the kid gets to be 16 17 maybe they are doing something for the right reasons you know they're becoming their own person and you can't just like uh-huh. come down like a ton of bricks as yeah. i thought it was a good scene yeah and i wouldn't want him to be like Bobby's dad, the mm-hmm. the military guy, right? Uh, he seems a little too strict. But well, there's another thing. So I that's another. I I was shocked by him because like you know I don't know these. I'm just judging by the scene. But this guy seems like he is really calmly and collectively saying like, "Look, kid, I know. I understand what it's like to be, and I understand that you're wanting to be buck wild and do all this crazy ass stuff." But also, it's my job as a father to make sure you don't fucking get arrested or killed. So there's going to have to be... And his his son was just such an asshole and defiant. Like, mm-hmm. not recognizing the restraint is dead. Now, I don't know that you haul off and belt a kid like that. Although, he's Donnie. So I'm, I, I kind of, like, had a little yes kind of when he did it. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I, and, and, yeah, I, and obviously, I don't know their entire... The totality of their relationship. Right. That's the thing that I wonder about, you know? But, uh, what turned Bobby into the kid he is right now? Right. The the rebellious guy that we see. Because the other thing is, like, sometimes that restraintful parenting only works if your kid's so smart. Sure. Like, yeah. if your kid's are just a total dumbass and doesn't understand the uh, slack you're cutting them, then, mm-hmm. like, I, I don't know. I don't I don't know what you do. Like, I'm, I'm kind of grateful that I don't have a complete ignorant shit for a, a kid, so... <laughs> Uh, the, he's the, only 10. There's still time. So. Sure, yeah. He hasn't his teens yet. <laughs> Check back in 10 years to see if I've belted him yet. Uh, the other thing about Donna's dad that I find lackadaisical is his reaction, or should I say non-reaction, when Mike and Bobby pull up to his house, right? And they're mm-hmm. looking for Donna. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also looking for Donna because she just he finds, finds out that she snuck out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says something to these kids to Mike at the door and Mike's like oh we'll find her don't you worry about that clearly in a threatening like we yeah. might beat the shit out of her kind yeah. of tone and dad's just like alright 
doesn't bat a fucking eye. It's funny because you compare, like, I actually thought Big Ed was her father until that scene. <laughs> okay. Big Ed's not standing. Like, I was hoping Big, I, I yeah, was yeah. like, you, you talk a little bit more shit, Mike. Right. Talk just a little bit more shit because I want to see Big Ed tune you up. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe uh, Donna's father needs to call Big Ed over for reinforcements. I think so. Because uh, there's a couple guys that Big Ed needs to put his size 13s up their asses. And, you know, Mike, Leo, <laughs> right. Donnie. Like, we need to talk about this biker bar scene. Okay. This is the most fucked up part of the whole thing. So, okay. <laughs> what the fuck kind of biker bar is this? The musical performance, like, this lady's agent booked her at the wrong fucking club. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He had no clue what he was doing. Mm -hmm. What kind of, okay, it's called the Bang Bang Bar, right? Yep. What, has David Lynch ever seen a biker bar outside of L.A.? Only in his dreams. Because I I can't, (laughs) it's probably true. Some of the shit I've read about David Lynch, like, there's a scene in episode three, it's called the Red Room scene, where Mm -hmm. the the, the FBI agent's having a dream, and he's sitting there, and he's inexplicably aged. Like, they got Kyle McLaughlin in old man makeup, and he's interviewing this dwarf character. Who is okay. sounds like he's speaking backwards. His literally his lines are being played like in in a backwards voice, and Laura Palmer's there. Then the the, the dwarf <laughs> wow. ends up getting up and doing this dance, and and it's just it's insane. And I was reading that David Lynch got that. He said I was getting into my car, I touched my hand to the metal, and it been it is a hot summer day, and it burnt my hand. And as my hand was burning, that entire scene popped into my head, fully formed. You get a cat so, scan, so I, man. <laughs> Seriously, God, you're going to give me a stroke one of these days. <laughs> um, but I feel like that, like the biker bar. He literally could have, like, that's that's the biker bar of his dreams. It I totally got, is. You look at them. I don't know that he can film a musical performance doesn't look and sound exactly like the one in Mulholland Drive because that's what this is, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you got the red curtain behind it, the uh-huh. spot on it. It's just you put synth in there instead yeah. of. Strings or whatever, or uh, nothing, actually, I think, in Mulholland Drive. Yeah. It's just vocals. Um, I don't know. What kind of bikers sit and listen to a woman on stage doing this song? What kind of bikers let two teenage punks just lower the boom on their total club? It's this bizarre like, mix Those guys should have like, been gutted. It's Mulholland Drive meets Roadhouse, and the two just don't mesh at all. Right, And right. David, David Lynch plays it off like it's nothing. Yeah. And I, I just was looking essentially through my fingers at this whole scene. It was yeah. a shit show. And the fight scene <laughs> is just so ridiculous. And then you find out later uh-huh. that this sounds like an excuse, a man looking for an excuse for losing a fight to me, but the mm. guy says his fucking beer was drugged. He was out on his feet. Did you catch this? Yeah, 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 right. In the second episode, he says, oh, I was out on my feet before I even Yeah, Big Ed, I thought, like, I kind of got briefly excited that he, that okay, enough is enough. Right, and I thought he was going to level right. at least Mike. But I would he hope. did no. He's he goes down without a fight, and he says his beer was drugged. How does he know that? I don't know. I think it's he's saving face. I'm with you. <laughs> I I don't know. This show got too weird for me at one point, and it was very early on. Uh huh. All right. Well, that's uh, no. I just thought that was because the other thing is like so much of this stuff. It's it's such um it's such jarring tonal 
conflicts that you've got a guy digging yeah. around in a girl's dead fingernail, and then he's talk, joking about there's he's making donut cop jokes. And... Oh, those were played out in 1990. Oh yeah, but I mean, I think I, there's there's I don't, I don't get why they put them in here. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, I feel like there's got to be, and I could be extending them too much credit, but I felt like there's got to be a point to all this. Yeah. You know that there's like they're they're building to something. They're they're he's assembling. He's like because you know all the great yeah. seems like all the great shows have to take three or four episodes to teach you how to watch it. Like the Wire was like that. Leftovers like that. It sure. wouldn't be surprised entire. I wouldn't surprise me entirely. A guy like David Lynch, you got to get four or five episodes in and kind of let it wash over you until some of this shit starts making sense. Or it could just be a bewildering uh, clusterfuck from beginning to end. Um, and then you know people get angry and and uh, <laughs> the, they decide they they hate it. Right. I mean, I also think this the other. You know, this is this is the tragedy. Of the pre golden age is this guy made what by all accounts a superior t- uh, television show of eight episodes long. Mm-hmm. Order a second season now make twenty three just like it, and he yeah. couldn't. Yeah. And he quickly got bored and like you know distracted and and you know had to do a lot of treadmill shit. It's like it seems bizarre and it's probably all scheduling and network television but like just have them do another eight or ten spoon them out make them special events right and i i that's why i like starting these things with sort of our history with the show um and where we're coming from with the creative talent involved and it, it gives you some perspective of where we are because i i'm sure that lynch is building to something and mm-hmm. that all of these things that i think are ridiculous and go nowhere sort of things eventually do go somewhere but well, I just don't have that knowledge or perspective. But, but I also think, as you know, going back to this tonal shift thing, like as an, I don't know what it was like in the '90s, um, but it seems like a lot of this stuff would have been shocking on network television. The fact that you've got yeah. these sex rings involving teenagers and drugs and mm-hmm. fairly graphic depictions of domestic abuse, like that that shit with um, Leo and did you say his name was Bobby Shelley? Shelley, yeah. Uh, was no bueno. It was hard no. to watch, even by modern standards. Like my god, and, um, I, what were people talking about? I mean, how yeah. did, how did they talk about? Like, I would love to pour through contemporary reviews and like discussions to see how this hit, because you know some of it. I, if you've seen enough HBO, like some of this stuff, it's like it's it's not like it shocked or disgusted me. Um, but I just feel like, man, for something that happened like 30 years ago, this must have been genuinely shocking on television. Mm-hmm. And it's played right up with pretty broad com- comedies about, you know, because this is with Agent Cooper where he's like, wait a second, long pull from his coffee. This is the best damn cup of coffee I've ever had. And I've had – I mean that stuff is super yeah. – and, and um, the donut stuff, and then it's right up against all this extreme domestic violence and, and corpse girls and pulling shit out of people's fingernails. and Yeah. What – I mean that must have been why you know 30 million people watching this is a shockingly high percentage of adult Americans. Mm-hmm. Like, there weren't 30, 300 million people in 1990. That's, like, 15% of the adult population. Probably. Yeah. Well, no, that's 15% of the entire population. Oh, sure. So yeah. it had to be, like, 50% of adults age 25 to 55 or whatever. Right. That's in. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's a, I guess it was a huge show when it started. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, tons of people were talking about it. And I think, um, thematically, it's very David Lynch. Like, you can see... I mean, I I look at this and I essentially see Mulholland Drive, like Hmm. the sexuality, the violence, the murder, the 
the style of it um it it all feels like david lynch to me what about the fish in the percolator <laughs> the, especially since it seems yeah, like neither neither cooper nor truman realized uh-huh. like it was it's only it's kind of like uh if the guy came in and said guess what guys i pissed in your coffee like yeah i kind of feel like if someone pissed a little bit in a whole pot of coffee you might not even taste it Right, but if a fish was in the percolator, I feel like you wouldn't have to have an old man come in and be like, "Don't drink that coffee, guys." As you're in mid gulp, it's it was a fish in the percolator. I mean, you could smell it, right? Especially when they're saying that like lips. it was so bad that like they had a fish taste in their mouth, yeah. after, you know, for for hours later. It's, like it's like, uh, and also, what the hell is? How did a fish get in a percolator? Right, I get. Was that does, old man just <laughs> fucking with them? Maybe, maybe it's a. Uh, because he wanted him to have fish breath to interview. Because I feel like that he was sweet on Miss Packard. Oh, that's the thing. Like one of the other, who are they fucking people? Is Miss Packard? I think she's fucking Pete, who I think is Pete, not fucking his wife because she's fucking someone else. I th- oh, right. I think Pete wants to fuck her. I don't think she's fucking him. Do why? What evidence do you think that she's fucking? I don't know. Him? There was there was definitely a flirty scene between the two, but yeah, I mean, see, I think, maybe it I hasn't feel like happened that she yet. looked to him almost like fatherly or brotherly because it's okay. that. I can see. So that. that's his. That's her brother in law, right? Because he's yes. married to the older lady that that yeah. is the sister of. She's the sister of Packard. Yep. She's also fucking the lodge owner. The lodge owner. Um, because they have that scene where so. she's like naked, yeah, head like businessman, like. She's wearing essentially a burqa from the neck down, made out of sheets and, oh, right. and comforters, uh-huh. uh, but still actually managing to be pretty sexy. I was like, "Huh, I am, uh, I am not unmoved by this this older woman wearing the 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 comforter burqa's sexuality here." <laughs> uh, but I also like you know the, like the fact that like these 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 advanced middle aged folks, uh, this lodge owner and this sawmill owner, are like fucking for days on end. Yeah. Yeah, like, just going at it. Nah, I don't know about that. I don't. I don't care how sexy the fifty-five-year-old that you're banging is. Like, are you really going to be doing that? For, you're going. I mean, kudos if you are. This is the yeah. pre-Viagra days too. Oh, that's true. He's just yeah. going to be. Oh, I see how hours turn to days. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Yeah. Explain it to me. Diagram. I it. think there's something in the I air. I want to see it in real time before I believe it. I think that that smell that's in the air is not the Douglas fir. <laughs> I think it's actually some secret <laughs> sex. Fish, juice. It's the fish in the percolator. <laughs> right. It's the between the fish coffee and the air in the meat sacks, the air sacks. Uh, people are just banging constantly in that town. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, because that, that's the other thing that was a little eye rolly to me is they introduced so many angles for who could be killing they Laura do. Palmer. Like, for example, the the psychiatrist who she has some like if this woman is tutoring the entire town and delivering meals to all of the underprivileged people mm-hmm. and strung out on cocaine and in a prostitution ring and in some kind of weird occult torture ring. How does she also have time to have a psychosexual relationship with this where she's, cause I got that she's deliberately going out into the woods alone and he comes and catches her by surprise and they have like some kind of maybe for it i mean that's that's what i was getting from that that thing at the end and then was was the doctor laughing or crying at the end or both dude let's talk about the doctor Uh uh-huh because i i don't know what's going on with this guy because he's also 
he meets the FBI agent for the first time. He's like, yeah. oh, yeah. I was dating the murdered teenager, and her father didn't know about it. Don't oh, tell him. Guess yeah. what? You just went to the pole position on suspects, fuckface. You sure did. Also, maybe take the psychotic look off your face while you're telling them that. And I felt like Harry Truman was kind of like, oh, you know, that's just his way. Like, yeah. what? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. So she's also, yeah, apparently fucking that guy. Um and, and then I really just completely eye rolled, and I would have tossed down the remote if it wasn't the very end of it. But when he puts his headphones on, like Laura's about to say, "Oh, the mystery man and I, whose name is?" Oh, right. And then and the, he puts the fucking headphones on. We can't on. hear it anymore. Right. Yeah. Bullshit. Uh-huh. Uh, and then he takes the other half of the heart necklace out of his fucking coconut. What is with this guy and so his he's, dress and his... He's got to be the guy... I mean, here's... So here is what... And we are going back in the time machine to 1990, because I'm, I'm going to ask the obvious question. Yeah. He's got to be the guy in the Carhartt gloves digging this shit up, right? It's got to be, yeah. And and especially since, like, he would maybe be out in the woods trying to relive his Laura fantasy, and, like, he, so he would potentially stumble upon James and, and, and Donna's back of the motorcycle talk about the whole situation. Could be. So did he murder? I mean, but but it's this blatant in episode two. I know, because I'm a sophisticated television watcher, that that means that he couldn't have killed her. Right. It's a red herring. It has to be. So, I I don't know. I think that's what was in the coffee, too. Red herring. Yeah. Who is is Butte? Butte? Like, the city? Montana? Because, like, they're... I I, I feel like when... um, Donnie and uh, what's what's Leo's w- wife? Shelly. Shelly are first pulling up in his hot rod, and they see his truck out, Leo's truck out there. And uh, they say, oh, my God, it's Butte. <laughs> Butte? It's, or it's, B- oh, it's B-U-T-T-E. Right. So that was the city that she said he was in, that she said he said he was in when he called the previous night. Uh-huh. And so he's like, Butte my ass or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, Saying he couldn't have possibly been in Butte. He actually lied to you, and he was closer, and now he's home. Oh, okay. Because I was like, I was very confused because I thought Leo was Butte, that he was afraid of for... uh, uh, for... That whole relationship was very confusing to me. I thought Shelly was a high school student. Turns out she's not. Uh, I thought Leo Although, was her she, father. She kind of looks younger than all the other high school girls. She does. Who are, I think, young. in real life, like 27 years old. Right. This and is all Beverly Audrey's Hills. supposed to be like 18. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. and th- this other girl who comes wandering back, um, who's been abused. It wouldn't surprise me if Shelly wasn't a high school dropout that married Leo. Oh, maybe. Young, yeah. and he's kind of, you know, clearly just... Oh, oh, But oh, I thought Leo oh. was the dad. And Leo's shirt's fucking covered in blood, and right. we know he's the cocaine supplier for, like, so he's another suspect. And he has connections to Laura through the money, and, like, yeah. But obviously he can't be the killer, too, because it's way too e- it's way too early for that obvious a clue. But then again, this is pre-internet. This is before, yeah. you know, you, 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 you had the hive mind uh, of, of people on the fucking spectrum obsessing over shit frame by frame and figuring things out. True. Six episodes before. So maybe, I don't know, maybe one of these guys is the murderer. And if you see, like, 15 different things and one of them is true, uh-huh. I guess, like, 14 red herrings pretty well disguise a single true fact, right? And it's also, like, the thing is that kind of I'm really interested in seeing how they continue to do this in season one is it's fine to have 15 red herrings, 
but they all have to have plausible reasons for happening that were not leading to murder. Sure. Yeah. You know, you can't just like in isolation, this guy's got a bloody shirt and this guy's got a heart and a coconut and this guy's got a business interest that would – they all have to track clean and, and, and have an innocent or like a, maybe a nefarious but not connected explanation. And that feels like it's very hard to keep those balls in the air. Yeah. Um, and I, I wonder how successful – and also in 90s standards, it might not have been as hard as it is nowadays to like have twists and, and turns. Yep. Um. What a, uh, one thing I want to ask you, this was such a hit TV show, and it features a talented cast of beautiful people. Mm-hmm. What the hell happened to them all? None of these people achieved stardom in anything. Like Laura Flynn Boyle. Not huge, yeah. Um, you know, Ray Wise you see from time to time, mostly playing like Satan the Devil because he looks like him. Yeah. Um, but and, and even Kyle McLaughlin. I haven't seen him in anything except for Dune, this, and Portlandia. Like, yeah. why didn't there? I mean, I, and it, was this just like a, a evidence of how like heavily stigmatized the small screen was? I think so. Yeah. That like you just well, if you broke out in television, then you're just always going to be a second class citizen, right? You're going to be essentially the way we think of porn stars nowadays. You just never, you're, you're never going to break into any kind of mainstream role in, in cinema. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. Um, you can tell. I mean, it's the budget is kind of written all over this thing. Um, you keep it was, saying it that, but I what? What about? I, I don't know. To me, it looks like an episode of Matlock. It doesn't look like anything special. And I've seen David Lynch's stuff elsewhere like in the the movies and it looks much better huh i found something that, I, I felt like some i thought it looked pretty good for it its had time. a fucking god awful uh replacement face in it like when they overlay the face of laura on donna oh right I, if i had coffee in my mouth whether it was tainted with fish okay. or not i would have spit you're, it out. so you're talking about special effects sure i'm talking about just the way I mean, even sh- the cinematography is just very pedestrian so I'm, I'm talking i'm talking hair makeup set costuming okay. the look of the film itself like i thought all that stuff like yeah i mean obviously 90s era like star trek next generation was all about special effects not great special effects bob uh-huh. um i thought that the the I don't know. I felt like it looked surprisingly cinematic, which is one of the reasons I felt like people were gagging for it in 90, because it just mm. didn't look like anything else on television. You compare this to, like like you say, Matlock or Night Court or <laughs> anything like that, it's like head and shoulders above. Hmm. Okay. Maybe I just... I mean, do you remember when we watched uh, MacGyver like two it. weeks, two, two years ago? Just out of the blue, we watched a couple episodes of MacGyver and how mm, fucking briefly. shitty it looked. Yeah. Wow. I mean, and, yeah, it and, looks bad. Yeah, really bad. Uh-huh. Like, like, I'm actually kind of in. Anytime I see, because like none of this stuff was. The other thing you got to remember is we're seeing this in high def, and it wasn't designed to be seen in high def. Sure. Like Kyle McLaughlin's old man makeup in episode three was really bad, but I bet in standard definition it looks more convincingly like old man makeup. Yeah. So it's kind of unfair to. You know, to really over criticize because it's all, you know, like if it was supposed to, if it was designed to be seen in broadcast television, then why the hell would you like you're essentially anything you make anything, anything you do that makes it better looking that the audience can't actually perceive you're literally gilding the the, the lily and throwing away money. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, but maybe maybe I'm just grading on a curve that that, that you're not. Oh, definitely. Like I the, the curve is non existent here for me. Um, 
I'm essentially grading it against the best of television that I've seen in 2017, and it just mm-hmm. you know it's a piece. Do you of not see like all? But do you do you see like the clear? Like I feel like this show's DNA is all in. Yeah, the, yeah. like even e- even the stuff I'm seeing in leftovers. There's a lot like. If it's not for this show that breaks, can you get an international assassin type episode without this show rolling out the red room with its backward speaking dwarf? Uh, sure, I, I like agree. You with have that. to build up an audience's tolerance to crazy shit like that before they'll go along with you. Like you had to have Buck Rogers yeah. before you could have Star Wars. Had Stuff to have like that. Matlock before you could have Twin Peaks because it's essentially an episode of Matlock. <laughs> Like a whodunit murder mystery sort of thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think it promises to be more than that with, like, some of the dream imagery and some of the, yeah, you yeah. know, and, and, uh, and also... Then again, that's it's stuff not procedural. I don't like, so. It's episodic. It's, um... Well, you say that, but you like the leftover stuff. Yeah, but there's something about the way it's done in Leftovers I that agree. is different than it's how pretty... David Lynch does it. Yeah. Um, Lynch seems to be far more disconnected from the actual source material and, like stylistic i mean he's to me he's just he's like an art film director and i am not into art films there is an art i mean there is an argument to be made that if you're trying to film dream logic that the less sense and the the less grounding to characters it's more realistic and accurate because you know when you're watching the leftovers and all this dream logic actually has real logic that's 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 loaded into it yeah that's more i guess satisfying intellectually but like is it is artistically valid what well, the hell I, does that even mean uh, right <laughs> who the fuck knows and that's part of why i don't really like the super uh you know what do you call it low concept i <laughs> uh, yeah I, Ar- artsy fartsy type stuff it's just not for me uh-huh. and and david lynch leans heavily into that stuff and you know, I, from the first two episodes, I would say he didn't lean super far into it. But uh-huh. from what I hear of the third, yeah, maybe he just didn't have time to go to that well in the first two. Well, and I think that – well, or also it's not just that, but I feel like that he – even Lynch sits – even Lynch steps away and from his work and says, you know – if Agent Cooper comes to Harry S. Truman and just starts busting out, hey, I got a couple cl- hot clues that I dreamed about last night. Uh-huh. The, he, like Harry S. Truman, this small town sheriff's gonna be like, go fuck yourself. Sure, I have the I have to establish Agent Cooper as like baseline good at his job, just like you know Chris Carter had to establish Fox Mulder as being like a preeminent criminal psychologist investigator to justify why the FBI would put up with this bullshit. Like, you know, yeah. like, you have to have those. So it, it could be that, like, Lynch wanted to go that all the uh, full full throttle, but he had to explain in-universe why the characters, like, why would Harry Truman be so impressed with them that he would just go with it? Yeah. Like, well, I can't do the shit he's doing, so if he's getting it from the dreams, maybe that's just the way his brain works. <laughs> you know, it's 1990. We don't know shit about shit. Sure. I've only got one other thing that I wanted to talk about. All right, and it's Flesh World. What is Flesh World? <laughs> so, oh, that's is that the magazine? It is. This guy where you can get teenage, you can you can order teenage prostitutes for a gangbang or whatever. Yeah, so they find this Flesh World magazine in Laura Palmer's uh, safety deposit box, along with ten thousand uh, bucks, and it it made me wonder, like, what the hell kind of magazine is Flesh World? So th- this at first I thought, okay, so. This woman who came back who was abused by the serial killer guy um, who survived it, 
is in this magazine saying, hey, I'm a prostitute. Now, we know that she is a classmate of Laura's here in, yeah. in Twin Peaks at the high school. Mm-hmm. So she can't be very old. Right. I mean, she can't. Maybe she's 18. Maybe. Mm-hmm. But she's in this magazine. And then you see this magazine, and they pan down from her picture to the picture of the semi-truck. Mm-hmm. Uh where Leo is staying. That's at his like house. literally a frame from the show. <laughs> right. And so I'm thinking, like, is this a local mag like a local porn magazine in Twin Peaks uh, to have these two people in it at the same I time? I remind you that this is before the internet. You can't just That's like true. you know, go on escorts.com or whatever. Well, I did a little investigative journalism here and uh-huh. I, I freeze framed a couple things, which oh. you couldn't do back in the day. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh well, you could, but there'd be like weird staticky <laughs> track true. marks on everything. Unless yeah. you had a very expensive forehead VCR. Oh, or reel to reel. I don't know. Can you get it on reel? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Twin Peaks was was best experience reel to reel. You couldn't get it on a laser disc. But apparently, that's just a stylistic thing. Th- this guy is not actually his semi truck is not actually in the magazine because when they open it the first time, mm-hmm. you can see her picture and where they pan to with the camera. Mm-hmm is actually, like, just a picture of another dude or something. Or it's like a a blow-up doll, like blow-up sex doll. But the second time, when they zoom in on her picture and then pan, it goes to a stylistic rendering of that scene and then goes to the actual, like, live version of it. Oh, so that was supposed to be just a weird transition? Yeah. Okay. Hauling butts and butte all the way, all (laughs) the way, all night, every night. And then she claims that she's 35 in the ad. The the girl. Oh, for for, for real? Yeah. Which what is her name? She doesn't look 35. Right. I don't even remember what her, her name is. Like, her last name either. is, like, Poindexter or something, or Polanski. Yeah, it's Polanski, yeah, Polanski. wasn't it? Yeah, Polanski, yep. In fact, wasn't that one of the, the trivia things that someone that was completely lost on her, that this this character, like, Sandra Polanski or whatever, isn't that the name of the character from Mulholland Drive, too? Oh, maybe. Or maybe I'm confused on that because I remember someone sending a a, tri- a little tidbit about how there's a co- couple connections from a Holland Drive to Twin Peaks, and I thought that was one of them. Huh. Uh, but yeah, and didn't they establish also that her and Laura Palmer were not good friends? Yeah, they barely knew each other. But we know because that's the thing is like a lot of people assert a lot of things about Laura, like you know when uh, Agent Cooper's like, let's get a let's get a let, let's let's test. Uh, let's let's uh, dust her body for drugs, and I bet you're going to find cocaine. And then Harry S. Truman's like, well, you don't know Laura Palmer. Well, fuck you. She was, like, super, super high on coke all the time. Yep. I felt like that part of this is the town coming to grips with their prom queen being having this nefarious dark underside. Yeah. Uh, which, again, like, I've seen good kids hit the skids and go into drugs. They don't keep up with their tutoring retarded kids and uh tutoring people with broken english and that's the first shit that goes sure their grades slip like that's (laughs) like nah uh -uh, uh-uh no uh -uh. you're not you're not running through the woods all night high on cocaine with some pervy doctor chasing you to do some kind of mock rape (laughs) fantasy and getting up fresh-eyed and and you know bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and and hitting the books the next day just not happening yeah all right, uh, so that's I, – I don't have anything else to say. Like I, I'm intrigued enough that I'm going to at least finish the first season and see how I feel about that. Um, but, again, I, I don't – I thought Mulholland Drive was a lot better than you, and I, I don't mind David Lynch nearly as much as, as you seem to. So, right. So um, I'm, I'm – I, and I, also I'm always glad to – 
get something like this underneath my belt because I do, I do feel like it helps me appreciate the current television too. Because when you see stuff, you you see the influences and the things that came for came from. You better understand, you know, like Damon Lindelof obviously was a huge. I mean, I haven't heard him or read an interview, but he has to be a huge Twin Peaks Peaks fan. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's the DNA of Twin Peaks is built into Lost and Leftovers in a very significant way. I do want to see. There's there's one last thing I guess I want to talk about. I don't think people have patience for Twin Peaks anymore. In fact, I don't think Twin Peaks... Like, if if people knew that, like, hey, this is going to... This is designed to essentially be for be something you can watch forever. Because that's other in the behind-the-scenes development that the guy who kind of wrote this show and David Lynch conceived this as, we'll hook people with the murder mystery, but then we'll make the town so interesting and bizarre that we could essentially kind of turn it into nor- a creepier northern exposure and people will just be in for season after season until we get canceled. Because that was always the plan for all of television. Yeah. Like how long... Like a soap opera, right? I feel like one of the innovations of the Golden Age is that people expect an ending and for that ending to have like something, some I- some idea of where it's going and for some kind of creative honesty from the showrunners. Uh, because... A lot of shows, like, for example, like, I can say that Twin Peaks is pretty awesome. I can say uh, X-Files was really well done and awesome. And I can say The Leftover, that the, the Lost was very well done and artistic and a lot of character-driven. Like, I understand all those arguments. But the end, um, and I, you know, I haven't seen all of Twin Peaks, but, like, I gave up on X-Files and, and Lost because it started to become clear to me that there wasn't any sure sign of a satisfying ending. Mm-hmm. And, like, I just feel like m- people – it's kind of like I guess when you start reading a – they used to do this, like, right? Like Dickens used to write serialized novels where he's just releasing a chapter at a time – And you had no guarantee that the ending was going to be good. Like, nowadays, if you read a book and you review it, you can tell right away. People's like, oh, yeah, this this, this seemed really great, but then the ending completely fell apart. I would never read a book like that. I would never read a book where the reviews are, hey, this is really amazing, and you're going to feel a lot of things, but at the end, you just kind of left flat and feel it. Because that's the thing I hate the most. Mm -hmm. It's fine for it to be uh, ambiguous. It's fine for it to be... Like you feel conflicted, but if the end falls flat or doesn't have an end, that's the thing that I guess is is my kryptonite. Yeah. So I feel like everybody watched these serialized first serialized television with the expectation that like when you go sit down and you don't go into a movie and think, oh, you know, the last fifteen minutes people are just going to not bother to end it or not have an ending or it's just going to end and then you're expected to show up a year from now to watch the next installment of the movie and who knows whether it'll have an ending like every every movie even ones that have a planned like moral to come have a fucking three act structure and each one comes to an end and i yeah. feel like that people just don't have patience or it's not that they don't have patience it's like they they're on to this like when the killing tried to do this shit where hey we're going to show this thing it's going to be one thing start to finish you you watch a season and bam and when they broke that promise people fucking hated it yeah i mean the the conventional storytelling techniques are conventional for a reason because they work they're right. satisfying you right. know the three act structure satisfies you at the end of it so while i understand why twin peaks and why Lost and Wild X-Files and why all these other shows that tried to bridge the gap between episodic and serialized did the things they did. Mm-hmm. I do think that one of the things to take away is that that just doesn't work. 
Yeah. Like you can have people and there's, oh, you know, like, you know. Um, We're experiencing it all over again with Walking Dead, honestly. Yeah. And, I and mean, that that was a comic Robot. book series that was devised completely to not have an ending, right? Right. To go on well, no, forever. It, I think he does have an ending in mind. It's He's just taking 200 episodes to get there. Okay. All right. Uh, or as Scott Gipple said, 20 years. And I just yeah. like, okay, good luck with that. There's a lot of reasons why that won't work. But, you know. Um, I forget what. Uh, oh, like I think I'm seeing this happen with Mr. Robot. Sam Esmail saying, "I've got this. This is uh-huh. like essentially three novels, and you just saw the prologue to the first novel." I don't. I was skeptical of that, but after season two, I'm very skeptical. I do feel like that he's making this shit up a lot uh, as he goes along. There doesn't yeah. nothing in season two seem like it really necessarily flowed logically from season one when you're looking at it the way that like the leftovers feels nice and tidy or the way that breaking bad or like you know boardwalk empire any of those things feels feels nice and tidy yeah and i just feel like that like if you're a creator that cannot have a target that they're shooting for and cannot promise people that that you can't coast on like yeah i mean obviously opinions differ but if you're going after the aarons of the world you cannot have this like oh well it's the journey not the destination Right. Um, although I do feel like that there are – you can do that if you're honest about it. Like if someone said like in, in, if, if the pre – like, hey, we got this thing. But like like I feel like that's – Lindelof has kind of insulated himself because he's like, I'm not <laughs> going to explain the sudden departure. I'm never, ever, ever going to do that to the extent that if mm-hmm. he did in the finale episode, I'd feel pissed about it. Yeah. Um, I feel like you can say like, "Hey, this," because because that was essentially him saying this is explicitly about the journey, not the destination. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it it kind of only works in the time before the destination is reached, right? Mm-hmm. So like, you go back to a thing like that, and now you're talking about the scenario where, "Hey, it's great along the way, and you'll feel these awesome things," but the end leaves you flat, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if you want it to be about the journey, it only works in the time where the journey is still on. Because even with even with this the leftover situation, yeah, it's been about the journey, and I would. There's nothing in this final episode that can that can make me just write off the thing as a complete waste of time. Yeah, if it does leave me leaving flat, it will change how I feel about the series as a whole. It, yeah, I mean, Lost was exactly like that. Right, I but, loved the journey there. Right, when it got to the end, I was like, nope, not right. for me. <laughs> Yeah, and everybody loses their fucking mind, so I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk too much about that particular show. Yeah, um, I'm just giving my opinion on it and how I feel like that. There's a lot of creators, and some of that's building for Westworld, right? Yeah, like I'm hearing a lot from Nolan and his collaborators that they've got this, mm-hmm. that they've got this whole plan, and that, and I want to believe because the first season was so good, but I've also been burnt so many times that. It's so funny because, like, one of the legendary things about Babylon 5 is that guy said, hey, I've got a five-act plan, and it's going to be five years, and I'm going to be out. And he pretty much stuck to and delivered that. And he had spectacularly bad luck, like the fact that the, his lead died uh, and got, got sick and, and had to recuse himself and then died. And he had to write around that, and he still kept that structure intact. Like, this guy had every excuse in the world to, like, well, you know, shit happened and things changed and I had to do this, and he didn't. Uh-huh. And that's, like, one of the unique things about that is, like, well, this guy promised that shit and actually delivered it. Hmm. Because the Chris Carters and the Lindelofs and the S. Mills, like, there's a, there's a whole history of people saying, I've got this. And, boy, <laughs> you, you don't. You don't. You're lying to people. Stop yeah. doing it. Unless you do, you don't. <laughs> you All right. Uh, so that's Twin Peaks. Yeah. I 
I hope I hope people are satisfied uh, and they got something out of this because honestly, if not, I'm I'm never doing never doing a television show that we've <laughs> not seen to completion again. Right. Because I just feel like you know we've done this tw- we've done this three times now. Um, in the beginning, we had that uh, the Irish detective thing. That I can't even remember Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law. Yeah. Uh, we've had we've done uh, uh, the left or uh, the Lost, and we've done the Twin Peaks. And if we go zero for three, as satisfying the people to commission it, then I'm just going to say no, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. You want us to do this thing, but we just can't do it. Right. So, uh, but anyway, I, I feel like I'm dooming the project from the start. Uh, well, we thank- should we should just tell them it's about the journey. It's not about the, the journey. End. It's about the the hour and thirty minutes you're going to listen to this podcast, right. and not not how you feel about it at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but special thanks to Shane Bowman again from Film Schlub's podcast and the Heisenberg Chronicles. Which, by the way, you should take out check out both of those projects. Um, Shane is so much better than we are at really getting at the cinematic stuff, and he's got so much more mm, yeah. training. Uh, an experience with that uh, that that uh, I I would like to give him a bigger spotlight. I bet he and understands also, David Lynch. Well, obviously, yeah. yeah. Like you, you know, and and in a way that like uh, I think he sees things differently as a as an amateur and professional filmmaker than yeah. the same way with the 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 Natter cast folks, the the Shankles. Um, but yeah, I, and he's also been a, a longtime supporter of Bald Move. So thanks for that, Shane. Also thanks to Georgia, Adam Pastery or Pastery, Wes Stevens, LaCloak, Amy Miller, Corey, Stefan Gustafsson, uh, Amara, Medallier, Betamark, the Enigmatic Coco Two MC, Josh Rickard, Dan, and RR Lamb. Uh, thanks for commissioning this podcast because I, I I enjoyed the time I spent in Twin Peaks, um, and I immediately saw how it would just blow people's minds in 1990. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in 2017, we have The Leftovers, which is <laughs> right. a spiritual successor and I think better in almost every way. Oh, every single way, yeah. Uh, so there you go. Uh, next up, we have The Fugitive, which is one of the first... It's 1993, so just a few years after Twin Peaks, and one of the first kind of like... What I recall... I haven't seen this movie in probably... 15 20 years but i recall as like a a good adult movie yeah like i'd watched a bunch of shit i'd watched star wars and and that star wars isn't shit but i, I like like big broad, broad adventure crowd pleasers like yeah yeah the fugitive is like was like a kid trying steak for the first time okay does it hold up i don't know i haven't seen it in 15 i know it's years. been a, it's been, but you did see it You've seen it, right? Oh yeah, you several liked it, times. Right? Yeah, so I'm excited it. to go back and visit, revisit that, and see if it if it holds up, or if it's going to be like what, going back and watching like GI Joe. Like, what did I ever see in this thing? Um, but that's that's coming up next, and we'll be back real soon with that. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. <laughs>